0: Television is where all the big risks are being taken, where the most exciting work is happening. And this is a festival that celebrates that. Finally, there is an independent avenue for people who want to just go
1: into the TV business. It's just wonderful to have an outlet for all of the creativity that's happening in television and in new digital media right now. The fact that there's this, there's Series Fest, which allows you To put it in front of an audience and gives you a platform to put it out there. Like, that's the most impactful thing as artists that we can ever hope for.
0: Hi, I'm Randy Kleiner, and I'm Kaylee Smith Westbrook. As the co-founders of Series Fest, we welcome you to Breaking In, a Series Fest podcast. In 2015, Series Fest began its mission to champion and empower artists at the forefront of episodic storytelling by providing year-round opportunities for creators and industry experts to connect, collaborate, and share stories. We are thrilled to expand our mission with this podcast as we talk to working professionals in television and gain insight, advice, and hear their journey of breaking in. Today I'm speaking with producer and executive Jeremy Gold. Jeremy joined Blumhouse Television in 2016 as co-president and is currently serving as president of production. Under Gold, the indie studio has launched the Emmy Award in Golden globe nominated Sharp Objects, starring Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson, The Loudest Voice starring Russell Crowe, The Good Lord Bird starring Ethan Hawke, and the newly released true crime docu-series Fall River on epics, among others. Before Blumhouse, Jeremy served as Executive Vice President of Endemol Studios and held senior leadership positions at both 20th Century Fox Television and Fox Broadcasting Company, where he developed numerous comedy series including Arrested Development, The Bernie Mac Show, and American Dad. Jeremy first joined us at Series Fest Season 4 when we premiered Blumhouse's Facebook Watch series, Sacred Lies. And in 2020, he returned to participate on our Season Six virtual panel, "Covid 19 and the Altered Entertainment Landscape." Hello, Jeremy Gold.
1: Hey there! So nice to see you and talk to you
0: again. I know been it's been a so while good to see you. I know it's, it's yeah. The the years just fly by. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. You are actually our first ever breaking in podcast guest.
1: I mean, I'm honored. Kaylee, thank you so much. I'm totally honored. Happy to be here. Big Series Fest fan, as you know, as you know.
0: Well, thank you. We we appreciate it. Um, I was actually thinking about I think the first time we met was at a party at Sundance. And that's right we started talking about Jonathan Mark Sherman's sophistry. And I was so excited that someone even knew that play. And yes. knew Sherm. And I'm like, I found a theater lover at Sundance. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of I'm... them, but everyone's talking, <laughs> you know, films and, and TV and, and I was like, Oh my God, theater. Yes.
1: Yeah. We absolutely bonded there over that. I remember very clearly and I believe you're with your esteemed partner. I think. Yes. Ran- yes Randy, Randy, and I, Randy, were, yeah. Randy
0: and I were running around there and, yeah, and we all started talking, and she knows Sherm real well. And yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good place to kind of start with your career sure. because you you came from a theater background and started as an actor and started your own theater company. And I would yeah. love to hear about that.
1: Sure, sure. Look, for for me, the 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 path into this business was a hundred percent from from the creative side and from the artist side. Um, I started, you know, acting and and producing theater. Uh, well, started acting even, and you know elementary school, like all many of us do, but but started seriously acting in high school and producing plays in high school. Um, and that's where I think I sort of caught the producing bug, um, and, um, and did that sort of throughout college, of course, and started acting professionally while in college at Northwestern university. Um, and, and, um, I, I spent a really formative year at the Actors' Theater of Louisville, uh, which is one of the leading regional theater companies in the country with a huge subscribership of 15,000. And they they have this new play festival called the Humana Festival of New American Plays, um, which is really the, the wellspring of American theater. Um, it's been around for a very long time. It's where plays like Agnes of God and Night Mother all started. Wow. And spending a year there as a member of the acting company, I really fell in love with the the idea of developing new material, Kaylee, from from the ground up and working closely with those playwrights and those artists to help deliver the best execution of their work. That's probably where that, where that happened first as an actor. And then I moved to New York after that year and and you know, I signed with an agent at that point as an actor and moved to New York and Started a theater company right away with a lot of the folks I'd worked with at the Actors' Theater of Louisville and also others I'd worked with in Chicago when I was in school and started working professionally there. And the goal of that company um, was, was entirely to produce new American plays. Um, and um, and it was a really exciting time in New York to be producing you know, not-for-profit theater. There's a very robust New York theater scene. I mean, obviously there always has been, but, but at the sort of grassroots level, um, and 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 it's funny how, you know, through your career, you run the same people, but one of the other companies that was already established and was ahead of us was a theater company called Malapart that was run by Ethan Hawke and Jason Blum and others. So, oh, wow. and, and the funny thing about those days is I knew Ethan and I crossed paths a little bit. I never met Jason during those days. Didn't know him. We didn't know each other, but I knew Ethan a little bit. And then of course we would <laughs> cross paths again many years later when I got to Blumhouse and, and we all... Together, rolled up our sleeves to uh, to adapt the Good Lord Bird. So, um, uh, but but anyway, I, I just share that because those days of the early New York theater were, were really formative days for me, and I made so many relationships there that I still enjoy uh, today.
0: That's amazing, a full full circle. So, at what point did you make the transition, or know you wanted to be working in film and television?
1: So in those early days in New York City, um, when I was, you know, as as we all can do and we're, you know, 23, 24, I was doing several things at once. I was running a theater company, a not-for-profit theater company um, called the Zena Group Theater in New York, um, which we had some very early success and, uh, and and that was going well. And I had an agent and I was acting professionally. And then early on, some casting directors that I knew and one in particular, Alexa Fogel, um, tapped me to sort of, Help between my own acting jobs and my own theater producing jobs to, to help her cast some film and TV she was working on. And um, and that was a really interesting moment because I suddenly was sort of seeing how the sausage is made from a totally different side. Mm. And I started working with with Alexa and then with, with other notable New York casting directors at the time on broad, you know, both Broadway productions, feature film productions and also lots of television at uh mostly at abc through through alexa um and it was interesting to number one see how actors can either uh really score an audition or you know shoot themselves in the foot (laughs) um (laughs) and also and also to to watch how the right the writers and producers and directors and you know, studio folks or in the case of theater, the theater artistic director, how they would operate during those those casting sessions. So I was a, you know, a young guy helping out in casting, but I was sponging it all up. Right. Just mm. listening to everything I could. Um, and I made some important relationships at that time. You know, one of the producers we worked with was um, was Stephen Bochko And Stephen was really kind of took a shine to me, I guess, and sort of took me under his wing and started giving me a lot of, you know, uh, unsolicited advice, which was kind of amazing, um, and you know he was a mentor, and I think you know we all if, if we're if we're if we're blessed, right? We meet angels along the way. Yeah. You know, certainly Alexis Fogel was one. Um, who, by the way, we that would then I would then bring her into the Blumhouse fold when I got to Blumhouse, and we made this beautiful documentary together called A Secret Love. Which is on Netflix now, which you may have seen. But that's a movie that uh, we produced in partnership with Alexa, and then and then and then Ryan Murphy, and sold it to Netflix. But um, um, there's another, you know, long-lasting relationship. But uh, it, you know, I think it was Stephen Botchko who who sort of said to me, you know, what do you what do you want to do with your life? I'm watching you. You know, you're doing all these things. You're running this theater company. You're working in casting, and you know, I I'd worked as an actor in one of his shows. He said, you know, you're a very you're, you're you're a terrific actor, but is that how you want to spend your life? I, I think mm-hmm. you're a producer. I think you're a producer. Um, and uh, so I had a lot of conversations like that. But I, I was candidly to answer your question is working across film, theater and television, all kind of at the same time, wearing these different hats. Um, and then things really got interesting when I started cross-pollinating my worlds, meaning I would be, you know, producing a play at my theater company and um, through my work in casting, you know, a, you know, an actor around my age named Billy Crudup would come in and I'd audition him and I think oh, this guy's really good. And I'd say to him, hey, would you be up for doing a play in Tribeca? And he'd say, sure, I would do that. So I'd, you know, bring the folks that I was auditioning at Uptown at ABC down to my theater company in Tribeca and bring the artists from my Tribeca theater company up to the fancy pilots and movies I was casting Uptown. I and that's that. that's where stuff really got got it got interesting um, when I realized that was a thing that I could do.
0: That's amazing. Um, Was there any part of you, though, as an actor that felt like, you know, you wanted to be more performing or at that point you knew and, you know, you were like, you're right, I am a producer?
1: You know, it's very interesting you ask that. I I have always felt enormously grateful that for me, my um, departure from that part of my life was was on my terms and felt good. Mm. I was actually, you know, I was, I I was, uh, working a lot as an actor and really enjoyed it, but in lots of different things, but when, but then when opportunities came up to, 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 produce and then to be an executive later a development executive, and I discovered what that was about, I was much, I was really enjoying the 360 approach to making the work as opposed to When I was an actor, you know, in film or TV, until you get to a certain point in your career, you're not getting a lot of, you're not having a lot of input in how it cuts together. No one's asking your opinion when you're, you know, the day player on Law & Order. Hey, um, how do you think, (laughs) any thoughts on the edit?
0: Right, (laughs) Um, totally. No
1: one wants your opinion. Yeah. Um, Now that said, I have enormous respect for actors and um, I have it from the inside because i lived that life for a little while. But once I tasted something else, it was... um, it was, it was clear to me that that was probably where my interests lay, but, but it's, it's funny, you know, there's that old cliche about you want to book a job, book a trip. Um, similarly, totally. The minute I, the minute I started accepting executive jobs, my, in some ways, the acting work heated up when I wasn't available to do it, which was really interesting, even more so. Um, and specifically, um, commercials. I started getting all this commercial work when I was a very busy executive. Um, and I would occasionally, don't tell, that's many years ago, so who cares, but I would occasionally take a day off or a personal day to go, you know, make a lot of money doing a commercial. Um,
0: so should uh, I be going onto YouTube now, like searching like Jeremy Gold you know commercial? What, what commercials did you do? I want to know. I have to go find them. There's some
1: stuff out there and I, I've been called out in meetings before when I was oh, at yeah, I've been called out before at various places where I worked, and where someone say, I was watching an old episode of Oz last night. Was that? And, and there was a doctor who looked a lot like Jeremy Gold. Is that possible? So yeah, oh my God, I've, I've definitely amazing. been called out. You know, Gary Newman, if you know who he is, who's a former boss and mentor of mine, called me out in a meeting with like 50 people in it at Fox uh, and said, uh, I was watching HBO last night. And, yeah. Anyway, that's so hilarious. It does happen occasionally. That's great. Yeah.
0: I mean, so since you've talked about... Having the experience of also casting and that you watch sometimes actors, you know, sabotage themselves or not do the best work. And now even as a producer for the actors listening, because we have a lot of our series guest communities that are multi-hyphenates.
1: Sure.
0: You know, what, what is it that you sometimes see that people do that, you know, sabotages themselves or what do you see that you like and that you find works, um, any piece of nugget for, for actors out there? I'm curious.
1: Great. Well, I yeah, this is very fun to talk about because I did have this sort of 360 view of 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 acting and specifically of auditioning. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you think about the audition room in, in television, especially I at some point I've sat in every chair. Um, not not that of writer or director, but I've been, you know, I've been the actor. I've been the casting assist associate. I've been the casting you know, director, I've been the studio executive, <laughs> network executive, so I kind yeah. of know what everybody is 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 looking for in that room. Um, And it, it's very interesting. One of the things I would say that I learned was, you know, as an actor, where I saw people falter was where they worked too hard to make a connection with those they were auditioning for. I'm talking about in person. This is different mm. now. In the world of Zoom auditioning, this is less of a thing, okay? Right. But that they would come in, they would do their work, and sometimes excellent work, but then they would kind of kill it in the post-audition chit-chat. Mm. And they would say something that was, and somehow put people off. And as and as an actor who was rooting for them, I'm, you know, I'd see them leave the room, and then I'd hear everyone talk about it and say, what was that comment about, blah, 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 know. And I'd think, yeah. wait, no, don't ding them. The work was phenomenal. Like, who cares? They said something... Silly, Yeah. but for those, especially in TV, you know, I remember at one point Stephen Bosco saying, "Hey, you know, in success, I got to spend seven years with this person, right. so I got to make sure they're not, you know, a nut." So,
0: oh my god! So- and just just as you're saying that, I had like a flash of like a callback I had for a TV show that I walked in and I got nervous and I said something and the. One of the producers looked at me like I was crazy, and then God knows what the work was like afterwards. But I still think about that audition, and I'm like,
1: <laughs> "Still haunts you." We, we
0: were like carrying the same water bottle, and I left the water bottle out in the in the waiting uh, room, of course. And I walk in, I saw the same water bottle, and it was like a Life is Good water bottle with like a star or a heart or something. It's like, oh wow, we're carrying the same water bottle. Like, come on, Kaylee. Like, seriously. But like, as you're sitting there, I'm like, how many auditions have I done that out of nerves?
1: Well, uh, listen, you're in very good company. Um, what one just one second anecdote on that is, is that I was we were auditioning a play at Lincoln Center Theatre. and Daniel Swee, who's an amazing hmm. cast director, has you know, cast all the incredible work at Lincoln Center for for decades now and a beautiful man too just a great person. And he, um he you know i would I would work for him as a reader, as audition reader, which, by the way, was a much better side jam than being a waiter as a twenty four year old guy in New York, right? right? And um, I, you know, got to go to Lincoln Center Theater every day and read with actors. You know, it was great. And um, I remember on one particular day, you know, casting one very big play. You would know the name if I said it, but I won't. And uh, that went, you know ended up moving to Broadway and had a big run. This actress came in, and older actress, and you know, seasoned. And before she started, there was some chit chat, nice conversation, and um, the direct the, the English director, who was very English. Said, "Okay, great. You know, shall we give it a go?" And she said, "I just have to say." The energy in here is so weird, mm. and there's this deafening pause. And the very polite English director says, "Well, I, I'm sorry to hear you feel that way. I, I, we've all just had a nice lunch. Um, everyone's very relaxed. We're all delighted that you're in the room. I think the energy is quite good. So, um, you know, take take it away whenever you're ready. Take a moment. You know." And she said, "I just I have to say, it's really weird. It's still weird, but whatever." And that was wow. just one of the, and by the way, this is an actress who could, should have, you know, could have and should have had that job. Mm. Um, And I don't, you know, she was, listen, I get it. You know, it's hard, you know, it's, it's all hard, right? It's hard to be an artist. And she was carrying whatever she was from outside that room. Um, But that was a real, I remember that was a, that was a watershed moment for me. I was like, wow, that is just, and everyone was so excited about her in the morning as we were, everyone's having coffee and reviewing the day. It was like, oh, and at 2.30, we have so and so coming in. Well, that's right. going to be amazing. Um, and then she brought whatever that was into it, right? And it was, and it, and it completely changed the vibe.
0: Right. I mean, that's so interesting, too. I mean, I remember in acting class, always growing up, um, they always told us to leave our stuff at the door. And it's so true, yes. even with an audition that, you know, and a good reminder, yeah. too, that the nerves and all of that. And, you know, you're sitting in those waiting rooms and you're seeing other people, but that's like a great reminder to leave your stuff at the door.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, the last thing I'd say to to our actor friends listening and and, you know, you all know this, it's 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 really about preparation. Right. And mm-hmm. and some this is the benefit, I think, of the self-tape age where everyone is putting themselves on tape, which is you can take as much time as you want to get it right before you submit that tape. Right. But, but in, when we get back to in-person auditions, which we will and some are already doing them, I'm sure. Um you know, you, you have more power than you think to say, Hey, I really love this. I need another day with this material. There were times, and I learned this from Alexa Fogle again, you know, where someone coming in and she'd say, Hey, I think, you know, this is really right for you. You clearly need more time with it. Why don't you go away and come back tomorrow? We'll get you a new time tomorrow. I mean, that's very generous. A lot of don't do that.
0: No. Um,
1: So I would say to you actors, like take your time, get it right. If you feel really rushed, you're probably not going to do your best work and make sure you've had time with the material so that you can just get in there and and and, and do your best.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's great advice as well. I mean, I think that the self-tapes are, you know, so great because we feel more in control, but I, I self-taped for something two weeks ago. And afterwards I was like, oh, I feel like I spent so much time worrying about the lighting and making sure my hair and my makeup and everything, all of a sudden I felt like I was being cinematographer and all of these other things. And I was like, oh, like, did I really do my work? And I, I'm looking Mm. forward actually to getting back in the room. So I no longer have all of those thoughts in my, in my head. Um, but yeah, in lots of ways, self tape, you definitely, you have more time, you have more control, which is, which is great. So
1: Well, that's true, too. Sometimes too much time. You can you can suffer from analysis paralysis as as an artist. Right. For sure.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to hear more about your transition to being an executive and how you got your first executive job, because I think sometimes and what I I love about your career and what is so interesting Mm. is that you kind of, it sounds like you just went for this ride and followed your passion and you've had mentors leading you. And lots of times what I see too with other creators at Series Fest is we get so gung-ho on holding on to our own projects and maybe saying no to working for another company to continue to being the creator, but you continued clearly developing and creating incredible TV shows. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about that transition and what it was like all of a sudden really becoming an executive.
1: Well, thank you for that. I, you know, I think I would say that um, for me, Kaylee, it's really been a process of accepting the green lights when I got them, even if that wasn't um, the plan exactly. And I, I listen. I always think it's a great idea to have a plan and to work to achieve that and to set your intentions absolutely. Um, but then be open to the things that come along the way that are a bit of a departure, as long as they are. Still in the spirit of what you had in mind, hmm. so so by that I mean yes. If you had asked me at 21, you know, what is your career going to be? I thought I was going to be an actor forever. I thought that's what I was going to do, and right. and I and I loved it, and I like to think I was good at it, and I got work, and I, I really loved it. But then as opportunities came my way, I saw other other things that I was enjoying more. Frankly, um, it's funny on the story, you know, on that on that note, the part. I, I miss actually is not it was more the you know the development and the execution of a, of a new play putting a new play up on his feet was, hmm. was as an actor was enormously exciting um just knowing that by hook or by crook in you know six weeks there were going to be a lot of people in those seats who needed to expect to see something great and we were going to figure it out and the you know the dramaturgical issues were going to worked out and the stagecraft issues were going to worked out and you know and by hook or by crook, we had to do it. And, um, saying, you know, lines that had never been said before was really kind of sexy. It was just cool to start, you know, and, and I think I caught that bug, as I said, at Actors Theatre of Louisville at the Humana Festival. But, um, to, to your question, um, I, I think that on the, on this idea of taking green lights that I wasn't expecting, it, it was really about putting myself out there and making relationships. And then, seeing where those relationships went. And like I said, there were people I came along who I bumped into along the way that turned me on to things I wasn't expecting. And, and and also being true to your own feelings and your own instincts. So there was a moment where I was, I was, as I mentioned to you, I'd sort of segued accidentally, frankly, into a little bit of a casting career, which was great. And I worked with some tremendous people and I had an opportunity there to get take a promotion and get a bigger job at the time at ABC Network. And I said no to that not because I was trying to create some leverage, because I genuinely felt I'd received all the gifts I was going to receive from doing that, and I was ready to do something else. And the minute I said that, the individual who had just taken over as the president of ABC, um, Jamie Tarsus, who very tragically passed recently, um, was, and she was another another great sort of angel in my, in my career. She, she had just become the the newly minted president of ABC and whatever she was, like 32 or something. And she called me and she said, I don't get it. I just start. And I hear there's this like star kid in New York that I have to hire. And I make you this offer and you pass, like, what's up with that? Like, who are you? What are you doing? And, and I said, well, I said, it's nice to meet you. And I, you know, the fact she was calling me in the middle of her, like first couple of weeks of the work speaks to her character and you got to know each other that way. And you know, and I told her about the theater company and my other things I've been doing that I like developing material as well. And the casting was a happy accident. I loved it I had huge respect for the cast directors that I got to work with um, and what they do. And I still do today. She said, I think I may know something for you. I'm going to call you back in two weeks. And we got off the phone and to her word, she called me back 10 days later and she said, hey, there's this great opportunity in New York. I'm going to set you up with this person if you are interested in It's a development job. And she introduced me to Robert Morton, who um, had formerly been the executive producer of The Late Show with David Letterman. Uh, Morty, as he was commonly known.
0: I know Robert well. Yes, yeah, so you do. I okay. love Robert.
1: Morty, as he's commonly known. So Morty and I met at a coffee shop and uh, we hit it off and he hired me as his head of development. And that was my first development job. And I remember on day one in that job, I remember walking into that this sort of temporary office we were using, uh, we were officing out of on, on uh, 6th Avenue in, in the 50s in New York. And <laughs> I remember walking into that office and sitting down and thinking to myself, okay, TV development. What the hell is that? How do I do, what do I, what, what do I do now? You know, I developed, but I'm like, well, <laughs> how hard can it be? I've developed plays. It's kind of the same right. idea. Um, and um and just, you know, jumped in. And uh, that first job led me to other opportunity and and in fact moved me to Los Angeles. Um, That's the job in the movie LA. Um, And I quickly after moving to LA with that opportunity, got a call from um, Dana Walden and Gary Newman who were building out the the comedy team at, at 20th Century Fox Television. That led to that opportunity, which was, Mm. which was uh, incredible and a game changer for me. Uh, But along the way, Robert Morton had had a deal with, with uh, Carsey-Werner television. So I got to work with, you know, the great Marcy Carsey and Tom Werner and Karen Mandebach and uh, made a lot of friends at that company that uh, are with, you know, that I'm still close to today. And just to watch how those, how those folks worked was really, was, was really extraordinary. Um, but it's funny, along that way, I kept sort of thinking, well, OK, at some point this is going to end and I'm going to go back to producing theater in New York. I, you know, it always sort of felt like I was slightly an imposter or something like someone's going to say, like, hey, how did you how'd you get in here? You know, right. uh, uh, go back to New York. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, right. and I think that idea of I mean, none of that. W- I'd love to say it was a plan of mine to end up as an executive at 20th and then Fox Network. But none of that was planned. It was all just taking the green lights as they came, as I mentioned um, and, and meeting great, meeting great people along the way.
0: I love that. Um, since you brought up development, it's actually something I want to talk to you about because you've done so much of it and you continue to develop. And I think television is so specific in development compared to film or theater. So what are some things along the way you've learned that really work and help the development process? What does not work and ends up being, you know, Um, a problem down the road?
1: Well, I'm going to start with two thoughts that I had listening to ask that question that are not so much specific to development, but more to a career in general. And then I will get to the specific development question. First thought is, and this is true for everyone, you know, actors, writers, directors, executives, producers, be on your own path. Don't, it's, There's not a lot of good comes from, well, why is she doing that? Or he's doing this or who cares is, you know, be on your path and do what you're doing and be true to yourself and be true to your instincts. Um, And the other is, and this has served me throughout um, and serves me today, um, which is resist the temptation to get choked up with the other person's emotion uh, or the other, or the other person's, you know, Hmm. um, panic. Um, and that's true in, 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 I find that in business and I certainly find in, in, in working closely with artists. And by that, I mean, remain calm. Uh, and I think we all make our best decisions when we're calm. Uh, and you can serve somebody really well, who's very upset about something without having to match their level of upset or intensity. Uh, and I, I, I mentioned those two things just because they have both stayed with me from the beginning and, um. And those were different things I picked up along the way that 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 served me. Um, and uh, both are certainly true in development. But to speak specifically about development, look, I, there's a lot we could say about that. I, I think the first thing is I, I would offer you have to have strong opinions, and you have to listen to your gut and listen to your opinions because that's what sets you apart from somebody else. And I'm not saying. Your opinions are better or worse or right or mine are right or wrong, but they're yours. And that's what you bring to the table is your point of view. Right. So, and as a, even as a young executive, young producer, you know, young actor participating in something um, when the moment is right. And when you are asked, share your opinion, but also read the room and know when to do that. But, mm. but, but that was a really interesting moment when, when those i really admired said to me well you know said to young me well what do you think it's like mm-hmm. wow that's really empowering they actually want to know what i think yeah um and um and that's important and value your opinion and share your opinion um, the next thing i'd say is is it helps when you're developing I mean, no matter what the no matter what the medium to know what you're developing for <laughs> meaning what is the target you're trying to hit yeah. you know so, for example, when I was programming a not-for-profit theater in Tribeca, that was a very specific kind of audience we were targeting, and that was a very specific kind of work we were doing. And once we got a little bit of reputation, there, we, we knew there was something that, there was an experience people were expecting when they showed up. Similarly, when I later, you know, after 20th, I ended up at Fox Network for four years running the comedy division there. Similarly, there was a very specific specific kind of experience those audience members were looking for when they tuned into Fox to watch an animated comedy. They're right. looking for a specific kind of experience.
0: Right. Um,
1: and and it's important to know what you are develop, what and for whom you are developing. Mm. Uh, it's much easier to do that than to just, g- you know, generally kind of go shopping without anything in mind of what you're what you're what you're looking for.
0: Right.
1: Um, and and lastly i'll say this in specific to developing for television which i've been doing for quite some time and now now we're also developing lots of of, of films too uh, obviously um is that number one when when you when you hear you know a writer pitches you an idea i would describe it this way um number one you look at it as uh, do we believe in this idea Number two, do we believe this writer can execute this idea? Mm. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Number three, does this writer executing this idea fit into who we are? For example, Blumhouse, we have a very specific brand. Does this fit our brand? Is this good for us? And are we the right people for it? And lastly, and this is an important one, is there a home for it? And do we know, do we think we are... Uh, equipped to sell it? Do we have a home to sell it to? Do we have a, we think there's a buyer or a few buyers who will respond to this, but on this idea of, is this the right creator for this idea? I want to unpack that for one second. Sometimes I've learned in my career, the right, the the big idea lands in maybe the wrong hands or the hands a little bit too early. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I, that's not, that's not a bad thing. It just sometimes means that, you know, this is why, um, Sometimes people are shepherded or supervised by a more senior writer because they, they come up with something that is, that is extraordinary, but as a young, you know, burgeoning writer, they're not in a place where they're going to be able to, to execute it all the way across the goal line alone. And so they need help. But also sometimes someone has, I I've learned, you, you know, you can also get burned as a executive or as a producer developing something where you're so in love with the idea. And, and based on everything they've done up to that point, you may not feel in your gut that that you have to really ask yourself, will this writer be able to execute this idea if you haven't been able to have the op- ability to read it yet, that it's something you're pitching. Right. And you have to kind of, you know, sometimes you take a a, a flyer and you just go for it. Um, but sometimes um, you have to say, you know what, as good as it is, it's a shiny object, but I can't get I can't go get too attracted to that because I don't believe, unfortunately, that this person is going to be able to execute that idea. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So at Blumhouse, do you mostly develop internally and come up with ideas and go out and hire writers? Are you mostly hearing pitches? Or are you mostly reading scripts? Like how, how does the development process and the production work inside of Blubhouse in your day to day? Um,
1: It happens in many different ways. First of all, we are aggressive and voracious readers and hunter gatherers of, of, of material from every way we can, we can get our hands on it. And we um, will aggressively pursue rights to different things, you know, books articles, podcasts, life rights, movie titles, et cetera, to to, to, earlier television titles to adapt. Um, We certainly receive a lot of submissions from the outside, uh, but we also do a lot of our own targeting of uh, and proactive outreach on ideas and material. And this is something I would share with anyone here thinking about developing or working development. It's always important. And I'm saying, by the way, I'm telling you this, but I'm also reminding myself, because it's one of the things I have, I I constantly have to remind myself to do, which is to leave the time in your schedule, in your life, to be proactive. Because when I think back, the, the, the projects I've worked on that have been the most fulfilling, and even the most successful, were things that didn't just walk in the door, but rather in some way, wherever I was working, I or we went out and got it. That doesn't mean that amazing things don't walk in the door, but for me, that's been a kind of real important reminder of always leave time to be proactive and and have the time to find, bind and grind, as I like to say, Um, you know, find that amazing piece of material or that great idea and and call that filmmaker or writer that you love and say, hey, I have a crazy idea. Can we go to coffee and talk about it? that's not to say that once every once in a while, amazing things land on your plate. They do, but you can't count on that. You yeah. just can't count on it. Right. right. So you do have to have the time to, to, to reach out and go out and chase stuff. Um, so we do a lot of all of that. I hope that answered your, your yeah. question. We also are, the last thing I'd say is I, I am the beneficiary, by the way, I haven't gotten to plumhouse over four years ago. I and we, the television studio, are the beneficiary of some wonderful, deep, long relationships built mm-hmm. by Blumhouse Productions on the film side that predated us, and even some in the television business that had been started as a producer for hire business before I arrived. So they've done a lot of notable work, you know, The Jinx and Normal Heart, most notably, and some and some beautiful doc films and things that had been done before I was there outside of the very successful Blumhouse production's film, an incredible film library. So, and relationship wise, I got there and then got to know all of these artists who are in the family, mm. you know, James DeMonaco and his partner, Sebastian Le Mercier and Scott Derrickson and Lee Wanell and all these amazing artists who, who, who have worked there repeatedly. Um, and there's definitely a very big emphasis at Blumhouse and something that when I first got to know Jason and the company before I joined, I realized was a similarity in our ethos, which is I've always been a big believer in there's no bigger compliment when you do what we do than repeat business, meaning artists who want to work with you again and again. Um, and so that's been a very important sort of staple of mine and goal of mine. And that's certainly a big part of the Blumhouse ethos as a, as a company and as a culture, um, and those artists, you know, will work across both film and TV sometimes jump back and forth. And sometimes we're having conversations, you know, with the two, with the two sides of the house Of Hey, I need so-and-so on this. What are your dates when you wrap so that we don't step on each other? And, you know, mm. we do that. We do that all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I know you guys have an amazing reputation because I was speaking with Emil Pinnock, uh, last week oh, and he love. talked about you and Marcy and just, um, how much he loves working with you guys. So, um, it's, I know you guys do do amazing work over there.
1: Yes. He, he, thank you. And he's a, uh, he's a uniquely talented filmmaker and uh, we have you to thank, I think also because we became aware of his, his up North, I think through, yeah, through, through, Fest. through your festival for the series fast where it premiered and I believe he won some awards. So, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah no, we're, we're so thrilled that you guys connected and you guys found him and, you've been so great of participating on panels and, you know, finding other creators and, um, which is amazing. I, I'm curious too, because we have, you know, we do these pitchathons and it's so much of TV is based on pitching. So I'm curious when you do hear pitches, what, what works, what doesn't, um, and what do you expect for a pitch for for us at Series Fest, when someone submits anything, they they have to also submit like a series format, which is a deck. I'm, I'm curious what you really expect someone to come in with when they're pitching an idea to you.
1: I would say that there is definitely not um, just one way to do it. There's not one size fits all in pitching, and I'm saying that both on the receiving end of pitching and on the delivering of pitches out to the world as we do all day all day long. Um, the number one thing I'd say is you want to feel that that the artist pitching really has their arms firmly around this idea, Mm. that they really own it. Um, And and that doesn't mean it has to be fully fleshed out. You can tell that somebody owns this idea even just in a brief conversation about it. Um, It doesn't mean everything has to be worked out, but that it feels, and that it feels authentic to them, Mm. Um, that it feels like something that, 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 that they're not coming at this from, gee I think this is what people want but rather this is what I need to write mm. uh and of course we all understand this is a business I mean we're all children of commerce here but you want to believe that on some level this 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 writer really wants to write this and and in some way has to get it out um that it's not just they they are checking a box of what they think audiences now are craving and what you know, streamers and networks are now buying, but the rather it's coming from somewhere more organic. Mm. Um, and in terms of what you have to deliver, look, I think sometimes one, um, brevity is the soul of wit. So be careful of going too long in a pitch, especially in the Zoom world. I think um, pitching now over Zoom, I think everyone has has um, a little less, you have a little less of attention span for those you're delivering to. Um, and um, you should be able to condense your conversation to, to, you know, I think I think a really good pitch, even for one hour drama can happen inside of 20 minutes Mm. Um, and then open up for questions. I don't mean the meeting ends at 20 minutes, but but for you, for you, writer who's pitching, you should be able to talk through it thoroughly and tell us basically all we need to know in 20 minutes. Right. Tops and then go, great, let's do some questions. And by the way, what you hope is that it becomes more of a conversation.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: And um, and There's a a writer, producer that I work closely with who he says he likes to approach a pitch meeting as if you've already bought it, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of like the fun conversation about as if it's like the series kickoff meeting as opposed to the pilot pitch meeting,
0: which is a really good way to
1: look at it so that you sort of assume you're already in a conversation with the person listening as opposed to, let me knock your socks off with everything I'm about to say to you. Yeah. But it's, you're already... An investor in it. You're already a partner on it. And look at it that way. Um and to your question, I think specifically broad strokes are good. I think don't feel you have to get into the weeds of your idea and look at it this way. Um, don't give them more to disagree with. You know, <laughs> right, no, don't right. feel like and in season three, lights up. You know, don't pitch out all of season three. Why let, let them bite off on season one? Don't right. feel that you have you can give broad strokes. Hey you know, maybe by the second season, we've learned this. Maybe we start the third season here because this has just happened. And maybe by the end of season three, that's happened. And that's all you need. You don't need to give, you know, chapter and verse.
0: Right, right. And
1: And and lastly, I'd say character, character, characters. That's mm-hmm. where you want to spend your time. It's, I mean, TV is all about character. That's yeah. right. Of course. That's that's where That's where it lives. So be able to talk about your characters and know them well.
0: Right, right. That's all great advice. Thank you course. So what are you, uh, what hazard. are you working on now? Uh, what are you excited about? I know you guys have a show coming out in uh, May 16th. Tell we do. Us about we, do
1: it. we do. We have, yeah, we have several things airing now and much more to come between now and the end of um, the end of uh, 21. Um, but the next series to premiere, we're very excited about is called Fall River, which premieres on Epics, um, who are very good partners of ours. It premieres May 16th. It's four hours. It's a documentary series unpacking a murder mystery from Fall River, Massachusetts, which is famously where Lizzie Borden um, did her dirty work. Right. Um, but this story happened in 1979, 1980, um, and Buddy Day is a really talented uh, showrunner um, who uh, is doing this with us. And this is um, this is reexamining potentially a wrongly convicted story that dates back to, to, as I said, 1979 and, and involves, um, some, you know, potential, uh, satanic panic, uh, kind of, uh, timing where, you know, some, some tragic events happened and, Uh, it was claimed that that was related to, you know, satanic rituals, but, um, that may or may, that may or may not be true. You have to watch the four hours on Epic. I will
0: definitely, I will definitely watch. (laughs) I love, I love any kind of murder mystery, true crime. Randomly, my husband and I just were scrolling and Hulu recommended, um, the, on A&E, the Scott Peterson trial. And I was oh, like, yes, oh yeah, you yes. know, we kind of remember this. And like, yes. it was like six episodes and it was crazy. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, and then I realized like, it's like the docu-series is at this point, like four years old or something. But I was just the information they gave that I had no idea about. Um So I'm, I will definitely be watching Fall River uh, in a Thank few you. weeks. Thank yeah. you. So my last and final question, which I am asking everyone if you could have worked on any television show in history, Mm. what would it have been and what would you have done on it?
1: Oh, that is a really good question. Any TV show in history.
0: Yep, it can be on there, it can be off, whatever.
1: (sighs) Okay, that is such a good question. It deserves a really good answer, Kaylee. So I'm thinking for a second. It's funny, you know, my knee-jerk reaction as soon as you said that, was West Wing was my sort of gut reaction, mm-hmm. um, so maybe that's my answer because okay, it's a pretty great. extraordinary television show, um, and I I almost feel like if anything, what I would have done in it was really learn. <laughs> I think mm. I think I almost would have I you know I it's like I think maybe I wanted to be like a, the the onset PA on West Wing <laughs> and just watch it all happen and learn. Right. Um, Maybe maybe the writers' room PA um, to get coffee for those writers because wow was that a room uh, of of terrific writing so um, yeah I I think there's probably a few answers um, that's definitely one that's up there I would I would I would want to soak up and just learn everything uh, from from
0: that I think that's a great answer well you were awesome this was. Uh so enlightening and i always love chatting with you um i think you gave me and all of our listeners a lot of really great nuggets you know follow the green light i love that um you know say yes and so much more i'm like think the rest of the day i'm going to be thinking about our conversation it was really great so thank you so much
1: oh well thank you so much always a pleasure to see you and talk to you and i and, and i'm a big fan of series fest and look forward to getting uh getting back to denver in person yes when we can ne- all do next that. year
0: we will you will definitely next year be invited in denver 2022 in denver so
1: i love it thank love it. you well, thank you so much for the time
0: thank you for tuning in for today's episode Series Fest is a nonprofit organization, and our work would not be possible without our incredible board of directors,
1: staff, and partners who make programs like this podcast possible. We have ongoing competitions, initiatives, and mentorship programs year-round, so please check us out at seriesfest.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and
0: Facebook to stay up-to-date on announcements. This episode was edited by Neil Trulio with original music by Adam Westbrook.